All right, so I'm going to go through the, the Metta Sutta. It's very short. This is it. It's got my notes on it, but <laughs> this is, this is, I mean, the Buddha said other things about loving kindness, but this is the, kind of the, the primary teaching. And I'm going to read portions of it. I'll prob- I think I'll read the whole thing. It's short enough for that. And just reflect on it. So notice, well, I'll read this first part and just notice what it's about. Doesn't have a thus have I heard, unfortunately. Starts out, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. And we've gotten down to about a quarter of the sutta and there's been no reference to love, compassion, loving kindness, or anything of the sort. So what's he talking about? One should be skilled in goodness, able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech. So that's all about sila that I was talking about this morning, about living ethically, about living with integrity, with morality following precepts. Skilled in goodness is following the precepts. And then he says, humble and not conceited. Ego, right? Contented and easily satisfied. Not grasping, not needing a lot. Unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. So living simply, not a complicated life peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Again, more about ego. (laughs) Don't be conceited, don't be proud, demanding. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. So when it says the wise in the suttas, it usually means what the Buddha would later reprove. And, And what we could say he's talking about is having a conscience. So uh, in Pali, this is Hiri and Otapa, shame and moral dread. You know, don't do things that you'd feel guilty for. So this is all about how we live. It's about how we see ourselves. And so how I take that, again, is that this is a foundation for loving kindness. That before we can practice loving kindness, we need to kind of follow precepts. We need to kind of see ourselves, you know, look at our egotism, look at our sense of entitlement, our demands. Um, look at, are we unburdened with duties? You know, it's very, like, that's a tough one. I mean, who doesn't have duties? 
And I've actually, uh, when I reflected on this, after watching some very busy monks, I thought, well, the question is, it doesn't say don't have duties. It says don't be burdened by them. And so, again, it's more of a mental state, I think, than having, it doesn't mean you can't be busy. But, you know, you know what it feels like to be busy and be overwhelmed. And maybe you also know what it's like to be busy, but just kind of be in a flow. And you're just taking care of things and you're not getting disturbed by it. So interesting just to think about it that way. Because then it says peaceful and calm. You know. So now we get to the the one instruction that tells us kind of the traditional loving kindness. It says, wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. We can say that the the three tradition three of the traditional phrases used in loving kindness are contained in this sentence. In gladness, so typically we say, may you be happy. And then say, may all beings be at ease, so may you be peaceful, at ease. And then, may you be safe. So in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. And that's kind of, okay, that's the instruction. (laughs) That's what you should do. Wish that everybody will be glad, safe, at ease. And then he goes through this lengthy description of all the different beings, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Well, there's a couple questions we can ask about this. I mean, one of the things that I see about it is, you know, when he says the great or the mighty, he's kind of saying, you know, don't forget that even though people are powerful or wealthy, that they too suffer, that they too need loving kindness. You know, sometimes it's hard to, you know, give loving kindness to the billionaires, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Depends on how they're behaving. And then when it says medium, short, or small, I'm always like, it's like, are we choosing T-shirt sizes or something? What size? He, I mean, it's just sort of an odd line, medium, short, or small. The seen and the unseen. So this is another one that I've gone through a couple of these with some of the monastics who are more knowledgeable about this. Whether that, because if you say seen and unseen, does that mean that there's like, you know, spirits that we're giving it to? Because in the suttas, there are a lot of, spirits that come around or they're they're from different sort of realms god realms and heaven realms but uh, you know you can just think of it as like there's a lot of people i can't see that are in different places across the street i can't see them those near and far away those born and to be born believe this refers more to because that could mean everybody that's been born or to be born but i I believe it just refers to people in utero um, and in the the Visuddhimagga, where they the commentary on this, uh, it says you shouldn't do loving kindness for dead people, which is interesting. Um, and I think they largely say that because they're to avoid grief. You know, like if you sort of start reflecting, uh, the way it's taught in the suttas, I mean in the Visuddhimagga in the commentaries it's more of a way to cultivate concentration and your, your mind get, might get agitated if you're thinking about, I don't know, about dead people. Um, 
All right. So now it shifts gears again. It says, let none deceive another. So don't lie. We're, we can see actually the precepts are contained in here a lot. Or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. So this is, this, the, here's the simile of the saw being brought out. You know, don't despise anyone, don't anger, don't wish harm upon anyone. So again, you know, the Buddha talks a lot of times in negatives, you know, non-ill will. Rather than saying, oh, you should love everybody, he just says, just don't hate anybody. <laughs> and I, I like that instruction, because sometimes it's hard to be like, oh, everybody's, I love everybody. It's like, yeah, well, you know, so-so. But to kind of just say, you know, if I can just drop the ill will, that really... There's a lot of ease that comes with that. If I can just go, oh, you know, hmm, you know, that's disturbing to me. I'm not going to go there, you know. And I think that's a really productive place to work with our practice. So then we come to this image, which is one of the most famous from the suttas. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with the boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. And this is, again, a, a line that I've reflected on quite a bit. So when I first heard it, I just took it to mean, you should love everybody the way a ch- mother loves her children, which, uh, you know, is the basic message. Uh, but it's easy to kind of take that as being like about sweetness and light, you know. Oh, my kids, I love my kids, you know. But what it says is, even as a mother protects her children, protects with her life. So it's more about, in less strong language, caring for your children, taking care of them, protecting them, feeding them, housing them, keeping them healthy, than it is about hugging and kissing and feeling some sort of uh, warmth and affection. I mean, that's implied, but it's not really the point. Uh, And this is one of the things that... brought me to my own translation of metta as care rather than as love. That, but actually, I translate love as care. <laughs> so, but in, because in our culture, I think love is so tied up with romanticism and with affection and a feeling that we kind of, it's like, you either love or you don't love someone. Um, but when you think about a parent's love for their children, there's lots of times when a parent doesn't feel any affection for their children, when they're really pissed off at their kids, you know, when they're really frustrated. But they still take care of them because they love them, not because they like them. You know? and, and it's this, this kind of caring which is more basic, more fundamental, you know, more primal, you know, and I think more essential. And again, turning this back on ourselves, this is what I was talking about last night to a great extent, the, that when we think about our loving ourselves, oftentimes we can get into this idea of like, oh, am I good enough? Have I done enough to deserve love? 
And I don't think that's what the Buddha is saying. You sh when he says you should love yourself, I think what he means is you should care for yourself. And, and we can see, do, do I care for myself? You know, oh, well, I, do I get enough rest? Do I feed myself well? Do I practice meditation and do practices that, that heal my mind, heal my heart? And so it, this whole range from, you know, thoughts, how, you know, am I kind to myself in my thoughts? Am I kind to myself with speech? Am I kind to myself in my actions? So as I say, and this is, I have, there's a line like this in the book where I say, even if I'm angry with myself and feel like I'm an idiot, I still make myself lunch, you know. It's like, yeah, I still take care of myself. I will say that as an addict, when I was out there drinking and using, that a lot of my behavior was, you know, even if I might have thought that I loved myself, the way I was treating myself was not kind. It was not caring. Um, so I like this switch from the idea of some kind of romantic love to, to something more basic. Because you can see, as, as I said in the, in the Chulaga Singha Sutta, the first thing the Buddha asked the monks is, are you getting fed? You know, he's asking, are, are you okay? Are you being cared for? And that's what he's, he's showing that concern. And then he works through that. And then is your mind being cared for? You know, are you having superhuman states? You know, are you having enlightenment? Well, that's the, you know, the, the most advanced form of care to become spiritually aw awakened in that way. But we need to take care of these basics. And, the, and uh, you know, to just kind of see that, you know, just by coming here today, it was an act of love towards yourself. And can you take that in as a positive thing? Like, oh, I really am taking care of myself, you know. It's, a real, it's nice to see. So then so the Buddha goes from this, even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child. So with a boundless heart, should one cherish all living beings, we should protect and care for all beings. Wow. Radiating kindness over the entire world spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. So this is what I was talking about, about the idea of radiating is what he's talking about. And how powerful that can be as a, just a, as a meditative experience. But the, the other thing I note here is that he's also saying the skies, the depths, outwards, He's not even talking now about beings or human beings. He's really, I think, talking about the world, the universe. So this is an argument for applying loving kindness to the planet itself, which I think is a, another kind of natural thing that we actually we, do love this planet. You know, I, I actually... I th the the practice I thought of this today, and I think I'm going to try this. Maybe we'll do it uh, if we have a few minutes at the end. To think about the place on Earth that you love the most. I don't know if everybody has a place like that. I know I have a place like that. Uh, 
And is there a place that you associate? And it's pr probably somewhere that you went as a child, hopefully, if you had some good experiences in nature as a child. But is there a place where, and just to visualize that and think of that as a, as a loving kindness practice. But I think that's, what, that, that's how I like to think of these lines. So then the Buddha says, he goes, this is like, he goes into more instruction, whether standing or walking, walking, seated or lying down. So those are the four postures in which we practice mindfulness. Free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. So sustaining this recollection is about practicing mindfulness. So it turns out that mindfulness is integrated into this loving-kindness practice. It's actually part of the instruction on loving-kindness. This is said to be the sublime abiding, you know, being in this state. And then the last four lines of the sutta really change gears, and they are about some of the somewhat technical aspects uh, that are defined as elements of, of enlightenment. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. So in the Theravada tradition, it says that as we go through, there are these four stages of awakening. As we go through them, we let go of our views and opinions. We're no longer clinging to our views and our opinions and our beliefs. We've developed clarity of vision, this, this insight. Freed from sense desires, we're no longer driven by craving. With Katie Lang's song, Constant Craving, I always love that one. Is not born again into this world. You know, it's not, you don't keep creating your ego. You aren't striving for, to be somebody. And in, in traditional Buddhist terms, you aren't even striving for enlightenment. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> you are striving for enlightenment. You're not striving for reincarnation. The Buddha says, like, we keep getting reincarnated because we think eventually we're going to get it right. It's going to work out the way we want it to be. We're going to get there. And he says, no, every life is full of suffering, of dukkha. It's, and it's, it's just never satisfying. There's birth is suffering, aging is suffering, sickness is suffering, death is suffering. It's kind of a negative view, but because uh, there are other things, and he agrees there are other pleasures. But he says ultimately, it you never get to a place of permanent satisfaction, which in our minds we are all striving for. And so he says it's really best to not keep recreating and chasing after this unattainable uh, state. So you can see the sutta is nuanced, complex, and, and really uh, offering a whole range of teachings, all the way from the very basics of, of sila, of living skillfully, through practicing love, through letting go of anger, through radiating love, through practicing mindfulness, to actually full awakening. It's all contained in this, sh in this short sutta. Uh, quite remarkable, quite a remarkable teaching and, and probably considered the most precious sutta in all of the Pali Canon and all of Theravada Buddhism. So 
let's do this little practice and see see how it feels <laughs> thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and dharma seed please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate